Show me a mountain he can He's the God of the breakthrough and anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. Show me one thing that's too hot. Show me waters he can He's the God of the breakthrough and anything is possible. Is possible. In this kingdom that's advancing at the speed of light, and in his kingdom, every dead thing is bound to rise. Oh God, our Redeemer, he is faithful to revival, he will revive. We sing, show me. You show me one thing he can't Show me a mountain he can Cause he's the God of the breakthrough And anything is possible hey. You show me one thing that's too hard Show me waters he can't Cause he's the God of the breakthrough And anything is possible possible. How many of you believe that this morning? He is faithful. Let's see this out together. Now all of my fear I will turn into praise. I'll shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. Come on. Now all of my fear I will turn into praise. I'll shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. Now all of my fear I will turn into praise. I'll shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment. Show me one thing you can't do. Show me a mountain you can't do. He's the God of the breakthrough and anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. Show me one thing that's too hard. Show me waters you can't do. He's the God of the breakthrough. 
yes we do yeah. I see the promises in fulfillment all over my life all over my life I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life I see Samuel Fields. How you doing? You can go ahead and have a seat if you like. Uh, we're excited that you're here today, and the good news is there is no reason to fear. God is all around us, and God is for you. Um, I want to share something with you real quick, if I could. Just uh, something simple, something probably pretty obvious, something you already know about, probably. Uh, and that is, you know, every major thing that goes on in our life, um, it, it all starts with a conversation, right? I mean, you think of your, your closest friends. It all started with a simple conversation somewhere along the line. Uh, your job started with a conversation. Uh, the job promotion, you had some conversation with somebody in the office before it led to the promotion. Uh, even, you know, your spouse, your significant other. Uh, it all started with a conversation, right? Uh, somewhere along the line. And even our spiritual journeys, you know, our life of knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and following Jesus all started with a conversation somewhere along the line. I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, um, a guy I knew, I weren't close friends with him, but just kind of knew who he was. He came up to me one day and just said, hey, Chris, uh, would you be interested in uh, meeting some, some other young ladies? And I said, well, sure, that'd, that'd be a good thing to do. And he says, well, you know, I don't have a car, but you do. And uh, would you be interested in driving me to my church's uh, student event on Wednesday nights? And I said, okay, sure, I can do that. And uh, lo and behold, that led to good friendships, but that was the beginning of my walk with Jesus, of, of figuring out that Jesus, who he was and what he meant for me in my life, all started with that one simple conversation. And on your seats today, there's a piece of paper that uh, we just want to draw your attention to. It's called Light Up the Neighborhood, because in a couple weeks, uh, your entire neighborhood is going to be coming to your house asking for candy, right? And we, on Halloween, we'd like for it to be more than just an exchange of candy, uh, we'd like for it just to be an opportunity to maybe open the door for a future conversation somewhere down the road. And uh, it's real easy for people to just come and throw some candy in there and then they're off. But maybe just maybe we could figure out some other ways and maybe you have some suggestions on what we could do to uh, make them pause just for a little bit. And we can at least find out their name. We can at least let them know who we are. And uh, take it a little further, again, for the future conversations to come. Uh, maybe they're a neighbor that you haven't had a chance to get to know yet but maybe by having a fire pit or some apple cider or hot chocolate, and you give it to them, you at least get to know their name, introduce yourself for a little bit before they're off to the next house. And uh, that's really what we'd like to encourage you to do this uh, Halloween, is to light up your neighborhood by just having an opportunity to maybe start a conversation, not that night necessarily, a long one, but a short one, 
uh, let them know you're there for them, and uh, you look forward to getting to know them in the future. So I want to remind you that in, in the future, in the weeks to come, we'll have some more ideals for you. But if you have some suggestions of what we could do, uh, we'd love to hear it uh, as well, and we'll share it with the entire congregation here, okay? Speaking of conversations, uh, whether you're a first-time person online, which we're glad you're here, or in the house today, uh, and you've been coming many, many times, um, we would like to encourage you to connect with us by texting SF Connect to 94000. That's the way that we can continue the conversation. If there's something you need, some information you need, uh, we, we can find out what that is, and we can get in touch with you as quickly as possible. So especially if you're new, uh, it's just a great way to find out all that we offer here at Salem Fields. But we're glad you're here today, and we're excited about that. And I uh, want to remind you one last thing, that God not only loves you, but God is madly in love with you. And so I want to invite you to stand with us as we continue to sing about his love.
God come with revival, you can start it in me. Let that be our prayer this morning. Jesus, thank you for the gift that it is to worship you, for the gift that it is to be together. Jesus, we pray this morning that what we do here on Sunday doesn't stay here, that we would go out into our communities and share your love and share your truth and your light with the rest of the world and that you would shine through us. I pray this morning that anything that you've been wanting to do in our hearts in our souls, in our minds, that we have blocked you from, that all those barriers would come down this morning. That we would let you in, that we would let you fully know us so that we can be in perfect relationship and harmony with you. Thank you that you've never left us, never forsaken us. You were always walking beside us whether we saw it or not. I thank you for your abounding grace, your everlasting love, and your mercy. My name's Tim, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm about uh, here one, one Sunday a month, maybe like most of you. I'm uh, here one, one Sunday a month, uh, do quite a bit of traveling around and, and interact during the week. Um, but I just want to say, like, every time I come, it seems like something new is happening, something changing happening on the campus. Uh, and so that's awesome. So if you're with us online, uh, you know, swing by if you want. Um, I am a fall person. Uh, anybody else really, really enjoy fall? Yes, yes. Uh, pumpkin spice latte people, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I like the leaves, I like the colors changing. I, I, I lived for about three, four years in New England when I was growing up, and so uh, I just thought that's what fall looked like in the rest of the country. Then we moved to Indiana, and Indiana fall looks like dried corn stalks uh, for hundreds of miles, and you can see flat for hundreds of miles. And so it, it hurts my soul when I don't get to see those leaves changing color. So when I came on campus and I saw some of the maple leaves starting to turn, I was like, yes, it's almost fall. Feeling it, even though it probably is going to be 80 degrees today. It, it, you can see it trying to happen, trying to turn. And, uh, and so once a year, my wife and, and I will drag the kids, and, and I really drag them, uh, although they're more than happy to go now. Uh, but to head up to New England... Uh, to look at the leaves. It's called leaf peeping, if you're that much of a nerd about it. Um, but it's really just to feel the sense of fall in Americana and to smell it and smell leaves burning. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so we were in Vermont last weekend. And it was a little bit early, but we also went there because uh, I turned 40 this year, which was quite an accomplishment, I feel like. Um, but uh, I turned 40 this year. My wife got me fly fishing lessons. 
uh, from the, the kings of fly fishing in, at Orvis in Vermont. And so um, we went up there, and, and the gift for me was to spend eight hours learning. Uh, I didn't know nothing about fly fishing or really any other fishing, uh, but to learn from these people. And, and truthfully, um, I think the main reason why I want to be a fly fisherman is because they have some cool clothes, and, um, and I watched a river run, runs through it like 20 years ago. Uh, and I was like, man, that Brad Pitt is, looks pretty cool. Maybe the key to looking like Brad Pitt is to learn how to fly fish. Um, nobody at Orvis looked like Brad Pitt. In my head, I felt like I looked like him. But there was this old man there named Truel. Uh, T-R-U-E-L, and if he's watching online, you're about to get called out. He was about five foot two. I'm six five, so he was probably. <laughs> online, I am a lot taller than I am in person. Um, so anyway, he, he was just this, this real short, ornery old man. He's been fishing longer than I've been alive. And uh, he had a face of... Um, Maybe I shouldn't say King of the Hill. Maybe y'all haven't seen King of the Hill, but like the old old dad in King of the Hill. That's what he looked like in real life. And he had that accent, and he just, he just looked like he had been in every single war I've heard about in my entire life. And I have not been in anything worth anything. And he's just yelling at me the entire time. And he started out casual, like, hey, this is what you do. This is what not to do. Um, and it was just like such a beginner class that they didn't even put hooks on the end of our line. Uh, it was just the line. And so for eight hours, we're just doing this. I mean, my arm was going to fall off at the end of it. I, I, and he's like, ah, Tim, you're doing it wrong. And then it just progressed. I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm here, willing, teachable, hungry to learn. And then after uh, it progressed to him getting more angry, <laughs> give me that rod, give me that rod. Ever had anybody do that? Like they're trying to teach you something but they don't know how to teach you, so they just take it from you and then do it themselves, all right? Maybe the Nintendo controllers back in the day, all right? Uh, just give it to me, just do it myself. Or your kids with technology, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. I'll do it. All right, so this is, this is what this guy's doing. I'm like, well, I'll show you how to text somebody. Cruel, cruel, cruel. Um, so he, he takes it and he's, I'm like, cruel, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. It's all we're doing is this. Oh, and he's like, no, 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 it's like this. Stand back there and watch. No, stand way over there and watch me. It's better if you see me way, way, way. And I'm like, man, true. All right, so I'm back, I'm forward. All right, hour six, I hear, and I'm, I've been casting, just, I'm getting my arms falling off. Damn, bleep, 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 bleep. I'm like, man, what am I doing, true? And he's like, you want me to write you a book? And I'm like, man, I did not grow up with a grandfather, but this is what I expect that that was like. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so my fly fishing experience was, was very intense, um, but I think that that's what it's supposed to be like, nice and enjoyable, relaxing with people yelling and cursing at you the entire time. So that, I'm, I'm just a big fan of learning new things, and I want to be fly fisherman, and I don't know if that's still going to happen or not, but I'll give it a go, and, uh, and I can just still hear them in my ear. But about once a year, I try to learn something new something that I haven't done or something that I've always wanted to do. I, I, I'll try to tackle something and try to do it from like an educational perspective, whether uh, that's taking a class or finding somebody that has done it and kind of coach me through that. Um, or it's not just reading a book about it, it's, it's, uh, which I, I love to read, but 
actually getting in there with somebody that has done something before and learn from it. Have you ever heard the term um, or, or the phrase, find a mentor with a model that you can mimic? I heard some mmms. If you're at home or right here, write that down. Find a mentor with a model you can mimic. And sometimes I like to do that. All right, this person's doing this really well. Uh, and it's something that I, I either want to learn how to do or, or try to figure out whether or not I can do it. So let me get some time with them, whether it costs me money or just costs me time. Um, let me get some time with them and f- figure out, like, can I do what they're doing? Do I even want to do that? Um, and so just in my life, I've, I've learned it's better to learn from somebody else who's doing it well than for you just to try to figure it out on your own. And it took me a long time and a lot of painful experience to learn that I was doing a lot of things on my own. And I was either doing them the wrong way or uh, I, was just, I was just continually doing and messing things up in life and I wasn't living the life that I wanted to live. And a friend of mine had told me, you know, Proverbs a day keeps the foolishness away. And I was like, oh, well, that's easy. I'll just read a Proverbs a day for decades. Um, well, 18 years. I've been, I've been doing that. So like today's the 10th, I'll read the 10th chapter of Proverbs and I'll just do that over and over and over again. And it's amazing that it does work. Like over time, you start to think, oh, well, there's just a lot of foolish things I was doing or you're just better with your choices and all that stuff. And so Pastor James was telling me that we're in the mentoring series and discipleship series and, and he wanted me to be very practical with things today. So uh, we're gonna be biblical, but we're not gonna do a deep dive on, on breaking the scripture open and doing an exegetical study on what discipleship or mentoring means. But we will be very practical based on biblical principles. Uh, and so just jumping in um, with Proverbs, these are some of my favorite Proverbs when it comes to wisdom and mentoring. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen. without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. It's good. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and that doesn't always seem like wisdom, but how good is it if you have friends close enough to you to tell you some of the things that are going on in your life, big or small, that you just are unaware about or have blind spots? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in and through our church. Uh, Pray that in our community, I pray that you continue to move, to work, not just when we meet together and gather on Sundays, not just online at home or around the world, but throughout the week, that you would speak in, to, and through our lives for this hurt, lost, and lonely world. And pray your spirit would move in Christ's name. Amen. You might have heard the phrase, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And as someone who is constantly trying to learn, grow, become better, I, almost to a fault, I I am constantly looking at people in my life. Do they need to be in my life? Do they need to be out of my life? And that's dangerous because then it becomes very transactional. What can I get from this person to help me go to the next step in my life? That's not a relationship. 
right? Now, I think that's wise because, like Proverbs says, if you're hanging around foolish people, you probably will become like that. And so I try not to be the smartest person in the room, and I try not to be the smartest person in my circles. But I also want to have relationships and friendships. But I have taken that five concept and doing some studies of other people that have done this in, in their life, I have about five people, five positions, if you will, for my, what I call, personal board of directors. And those are mentors that, for the most part, are, are mentors, are lifelong relationships. Some of them come in for just a short time. But any major decision, I run past them. Any major decision, I run past them. And they, they know up front that I'm not going to call them every month and be like, I'm trying to decide which shampoo to use to help my hair grow back. What do I do? I will call them every month, and I will reach out to them every month, but it's relational. But they know one to three times a year, there's going to be a life-altering, life-changing kind of decision, whether it's planned or it just kind of comes up, that I'm going to seek their advice on. And so, and these people are top of their game in these different areas. And I, I figured out what areas do I want to have, what are my blind spots? What areas do I want to have in my life that I want these people to give me perspective on? Um, I did not grow up with any type of financial literacy. And so that was a big one. Like I want to make wise financial decisions and I don't, or at the time I didn't know some of these things. And so, um, I've got two people in that spot. One person who's been there for a long time, great guy, uh, again, top of his game in a lot of things, very, very wise financially. But he's getting older, he's retired now, and, um, and so he's kind of transitioning in life. And so I've brought on somebody else, and they kind of go back and forth, tag team, a much younger guy. Uh, but a lot of this is those same qualities. I've got a spiritual guide pastor who really helps me with my own spiritual formation in life. I've got a, a lifelong friend who's known me since I was 17, and he's about five, six years older than me. He's seen my ups and downs, all my dumb stuff. He knows everything about my life, and he's still my friend. I've got a work colleague friend who we no longer work as much together, but we still do some projects and stuff together. But he's seen me in my work, in my professional environment in life. Then the family portion of that, I have my father, who, again, has known me for a long time, and my wife. Now, my wife has what we call veto power. Some of you don't know that you have the veto power <laughs> as the wife. You have the veto power, uh, or you should. And so anything that, that, like, we're going through all this stuff, and I've got it for her, too. She just doesn't use it as much. Um, at least I think, I hope I have it. I don't know. She never once have, has she actually asked that about it. But, um, I, like, anything big, even if everybody else on the team says, yeah, you're good, go for it, I've given her the place that if she's uncomfortable with it, she can pull the plug at any moment. Now, she doesn't do that. She doesn't hang that over my head. But when you're in a marriage with somebody, every issue that comes up in life is a marriage issue. 
And every major decision in life is a marriage decision. And so I've, I've given that to her because truthfully, she already had it to begin with, right? So we just have conversations about it. And about two years ago, she, she, she vetoed something. And it was something I felt like gung-ho about. And my board was kind of ambivalent about it. They, you know, it wasn't one way or another. And so then I'm just going through the motions. Have you ever done that? Where you're like, you know what you want to do, but you're like, you'll ask somebody else, but you don't, really don't care what they say. Because you know what you're going to do. You've already made up your mind what you're going to do. And she said, I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Like everybody else is on board. I'm trying to like... All my guys are on board. And she's like, but I don't feel comfortable with that. And I'd love to say, I was like, well, and you have such a high place of honor in my, wife, in my life. You, you're my one and only. I remember our vows like they were yesterday. And I, no, I was, I kicked and screamed and, you know, I was through a little toddler fit. And, you know, I would like, because I wanted to do what I want to do. And I thought I know best and. I still don't feel like it was a bad decision, but a year and a half, two years later, she was right. And I went through a little grieving process of like a little pity party about myself. But here's the thing. When you invite people who love you into your life to tell you about your blind spots, you also have to be willing to listen to them and trust that maybe they see, feel, know something that you don't. So it's not always easy, but it is the right thing to do. And those blind spots are important because we all have them. You all know the, the Allstate Mayhem commercials? I love those commercials. Where they're like uh, the college football tailgate party getting out of control or the, or the tornado. And, but my favorite one is he's holding on to like the side of the car. And he's like, I'm mayhem. I'm your blind spot. And like this person just swerving all over the road, just not a care in the world, just looking straight ahead, but can't see the blind spots. We all have those blind spots. If we're not aware of them and we don't invite people into our lives to help tell us what's going on there. Mayhem will ensue. So we're going to jump right into this. I'm going to give you all the points right up front, okay, because I might lose you. So I'm just going to give you quick, all the points right up front, be very practical with you because that's what Pastor James said. So step one, write down, step one is literally write down, write down what it is you want. In a mentor relationship, disciple relationship, whatever it is, if you want to grow in your life, Write down what it is you want, what it is you're looking for. If you're looking for like this deep spiritual uh, growth moment, like write that down. Write down the type of person that you would want to learn from and grow from. Maybe you know that, and maybe you already know that person. Maybe you're wanting to break into a certain career field or industry, or maybe you have already started, but you're looking for somebody that can help kind of coach you over those next 20 years and become from a coach to a mentor for you. Be very specific about what it is you want. I would, I would much rather get 30 minutes once a year 
with an absolute expert that turned into a mentor relationship for 20 years, 30 minutes, once a year for 20 minutes, or for 20 years, with an expert at the top of their game, than somebody who's not at the top of their game but willing to meet with me for three hours every Monday morning. See what I'm saying? So find out what it is you want. If you want to break into the music industry and you feel like you're uh, you know, going to be the next big producer, find those people. Don't find the other person that's also trying to break into the industry. That's a friend. Don't find the mentor who's done before. Mentor with a model that you can mimic. Find it out. So write that down. And then also you need to know what a mentor is not. A mentor is not a coach. A coach comes into your life for a specific amount of time for a specific thing. I think a lot of uh, Tiger Woods' failed coaching situation, maybe some of you know about it, maybe some of you don't, um, but he obviously was the greatest, if, if not one of the greatest of all time. Um, and he had this swing coach that was fairly obscure. Uh, swing coach helped coach him on how to, that's baseball, putt-putt, I don't know what I was doing, so we'll pretend like I'm fly fishing. But anyway, he, he coached him on the swing. He didn't give financial advice, didn't give life advice, but he was the one person in Tiger's life who could say, there's something wrong with your swing. Greatest player in the world, and he had a coach that says, something wrong with it, let's fix that. And Tiger fired him. And then what happened to Tiger's life and financial situation? Now, Tiger's been through a lot. I don't know if that coach was the linchpin to everything that was holding his life together. But I will say his swing went downhill dramatically after he let go of the one person who could tell him, you're doing it wrong. It's a coach for a certain amount of time covering a certain topic, helping him through that. That's a coach, it's not a mentor. It's a coach. A coach is not a counselor. Coach is not a licensed, or a mentor is not a licensed professional counselor. We might need counselors. In fact, I think we all need counselors. It's kind of like a lawyer. If you think you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer, right? So if you think you need a counselor, and we probably all need to have a counselor on speed dial, to be honest with you, especially over the last two years. But a counselor is not a mentor. Mentor is not a pastor. Now, pastors are great. Pastor James is great. Pastor James might have mentoring relationships with certain people. But your pastor, which you need, is not necessarily a mentor. A mentor is not a friend, or at least it doesn't always start out that way. It might turn into that over 20, 30 years. But a mentor is a lifelong relationship and that's going to speak into major things in your life. So a mentor is not a friend, not a pastor, not a counselor, not a coach. You need all those things, but that's not a mentor. So step one, write down what it is you want. Step two, stop looking for unicorns. I think part of the issue with the uh, 
the mentor, like I've got to find a mentor, I've got to find somebody that's going to help me through life. Like all those things are really good, but then we try to put all those things that I just said, the pastor, the friend, the counselor, all those things into one person and expect that person out of the kindness and willingness of their heart to meet with us for one hour at 10 o'clock every Monday morning. That's for the rest of their lives. That's probably not going to happen. And that's probably not going to happen. But what you can do is you can break up what some of those things, some of those aspects that you want, break that up, break up that unicorn into different parts, and then find that in different relationships with different people. So if you, if you want to that, you know, break into the music industry, it might not happen in Fredericksburg. Might. Might be the wrong pool to fish from, as they would say. But if you're looking to break into the music industry and also to grow deeper in your faith and also learn how to become a better parent or spouse or anything else, you might be able to piece together those with different relationships. Does that make sense? Step three, go local. So I was talking about breaking that up. Go local. Find those more tangible aspects in your local church, in your local community. They're there. God's put them there. They come in the form of relationship, though. Step four, reach for the star. So step one, write it down. Step two, stop looking for unicorns. Step three, go local. Step four, reach for the stars. And that may seem like a, a, a dichotomy together, like they don't really match. But here's the thing. If you do want a mentoring relationship with somebody at the top of their game, they may not be local. And they may not initially be willing to meet with you consistently or at all. But my advice is to find that person or to find those people and reach out to them. Email them, snail mail, call them, call their assistant. Be persistent just to the point of not getting a stalker charge, okay? Like, you don't want to cross the line there. But be persistent. And you'll be amazed at what happens. I ran into a guy uh, two years ago at a conference and we're kind of in similar fields, at least with what I was getting started with, uh, with working in churches all over the country. And he does that all over the world. Churches, business, all, all this stuff. Top of his game. And I follow him on LinkedIn and Instagram and, and those things. And I saw him in the hall uh, at this conference. We were the same height. I was very encouraged about that. I thought we, he was a lot taller than me. Online does that to you. So I was like, I was looking at him straight eye. I was like, Sean, like, hey, it's great to meet you. Uh, follow your stuff on Instagram and, and LinkedIn and stuff. And, and not being too fanboy, I was just like, hey, I really appreciate a lot of what you do. Um, I would love to pick your brain about something. It wouldn't take more than 15 or 20 minutes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do 15 or 20 minutes. I'll have my assistant set it up with you next week. Didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. So I emailed out to the assistant, hey, ran into Sean, this conference. He told me to connect or you know, so I put the blame on me. He told me to connect. And two weeks later, I got a Zoom invite for 30 minutes with Sean. And so that's my opportunity. Show up, have my stuff together, had all my questions, 
all this stuff. And he just hit it. All right. We hit it off. And so I didn't ask him, hey, can we do another 30 minute meeting? All I said was, can I follow up with you in a year and let you know how I'm doing? Man, absolutely. So a year goes by, set in my calendar, hey, remind Sean, how you doing? And so send him a little short bullet point, one page email. Hey, this is what I'm doing. Thank you so much. So appreciated it. I've got another thing I want to run by you if you have time. Responds immediately. Absolutely. Would love to. We'll set it up. Here we go. And so what that begins is that mentoring relationship. I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. But I'm putting it out there to somebody who's top of his game, doesn't need to have time for me. But I'm showing up, I'm doing the work, and I've done that over and over and over again with authors, famous speakers, other pastors. In fact, I left college during my junior year. I dropped out of college. This is like a liberal arts Christian university where I was like, becoming a pastor. Um, so I don't recommend, I'm looking, trying to look for some young people, don't recommend dropping out of college. But if you do, do it this way. Um, <laughs> one, you gotta realize that if college is for you or not. It wasn't for me. I did end up finishing later. But I met somebody who was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And he was doing it on a very large scale, unlike anything else that I had seen in my current circle. Now, I'll tell you, I know exactly how much money I had in my bank account. I had $5.72. It's not a lot of money. That is not a value meal these days, all right? So I could probably squeeze two meals at Taco Bell out of that back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Can't do that these days. But I reached out to him, and I said, can I come work for you for free this summer? And I, I, we had met a few times, kind of that same thing, kind of built that relationship. Can I work for you for free this summer? And he's like, uh, you know, we really don't do that here. You know, it's like laws against things like that. And I said, I just want to learn from you. You don't have to worry about anything from me. I just want to learn from you, see you in action, and, and I'll work for free. Like, I want to be a part of the team and do that. Three months, 90 days, just for the summer. You won't, ever, you, you won't ever have to worry about me again. He responded back, if you can do it, you have to find your own housing. You have to figure out how you're going to live, pay for yourself, but come on down. Now, I knew I wasn't going back to college. All right? Uh, I knew, I didn't know what to do when I got there, but I knew I had to go. And I went down there, and I worked my tail off, and I learned as much as I could because I didn't know how long this really was going to last. To this day, I don't know if he knew that I wasn't going to go back to Indiana and go to school. But I don't know if he knew that or like completely. But when it came time to like say goodbyes and, and kind of get ready to go, he said, hey, if you're interested in staying down here, we'd love to hire you on for the team full time. Boom, all these things. He said, you've outworked everybody here except the top executive level team. Started mowing grass. That's what I was doing. That's what interning is, mowing grass for free. I was interning at this very large church. Worked for free for, for 90 days. 
grinded through some things and ended up 10 years later being the executive pastor over all of our campuses and all that stuff. Started with $5.72 in my bank account. But I saw somebody who was doing something that I wanted to do and I was willing to leave it all. It wasn't much. Uh, <laughs> willing to leave it all and, and, and go follow. So step three, or step five is show up. One, write it down what you want. Two, stop looking for unicorns. Three, go local with the things that you can go local on. Four, reach for the stars, whatever it is. Step five, but show up and do the work. And this is where we're going to get biblical here. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. You might know this as a story of the rich young ruler. Um, this is what it says. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He goes through a, a truncated version of the Ten Commandments right there. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Jesus doesn't tell him the thing that he lacks. There's a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Twice, the student calls Jesus the teacher. Or back in the original Hebrew there, it would be rabbi. And rabbis, pastors, not like today, uh, rabbis and pastors back then in this context, the highest office in the land, most respected office in the land, I should say. Unfortunately, we can't say that about pastors today. It's not the most respected in the community. Back then it was. The goal was for every young boy to grow up to be a rabbi. In fact, from age 6 to age 10, every boy and every girl was required to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So that's why Jesus says, well, you know these things, and starts listing them out. And the, boy says, the young man says, I've done all these things since I was a boy. It was just like saying to an 18-year-old, well, you know the Pledge of Allegiance and the Star-Spangled Banner, because you get that from such an early age. Then this is what happens after you turn 10. The best of the best from that group go on to learn the next several books of the Hebrew Scriptures, the rest of the Old Testament. Memorize it, word for word. And it's a meat grinder, and they drop out. From, from 10 to 13, I mean, they're just dropping like flies. And if you don't make it, 
you go back and do whatever your parents were doing. But if you make it through at 13, 14, you've made it through, then the teachers, the rabbis come along and they start saying, I want that one. I want that one. Drop what you're doing, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. And it's like kickball at recess. If you didn't get picked, sitting there, you're kicking your dirt, you still went home. You still went and learned how to fish, learned how to be a tax collector, whatever it is. And there wasn't necessarily disgrace with that, but there was some disappointment with that. So what's interesting is when Jesus goes and calls the disciples, and the rabbis would do that around the age 30, when the rabbi was about 30 years old, they would go start calling their own. When Jesus goes around and starts doing this, he's not talking to people that have made it through the meat grinder and are coming out really good on the other side. He's talking to the fishermen and tax collectors. Not the best of the best. So the rich young ruler, not having a rabbi of his own, is not the best of the best. Has the knowledge, but there's something about him that's off. And so he goes and humbles himself and goes and talks to Jesus. And says, what must I do? And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. A lot of times, Preachers and teachers will harp on the give everything you have to the poor part of that. Is that a prerequisite for following Christ? Anybody? No. It was for him. Because that was the thing holding him back between a relationship and growth in his life. Whatever that was, his security, whatever it was. We all have different things that hold us back from growing in our life. And Jesus is saying, whatever that is, that's what you need to get rid of and then come and follow me. And there's a saying in the Mishnah, which is a, a group of rabbinical sayings from 200 BC to 200 AD, and it says this, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. This is where we get the concept of discipleship. The concept of discipleship, then, is that you would follow so close to the teacher that the dust that they kicked up from their feet would cover your face and your clothes because you are humble enough to get dirty. You were consistently learning and growing. See, I think we all want that mentor in our life. We all want that Yoda. We all want that sage. That we, we want that guide. It's something that we are lacking in our society is humility. Be told we're doing something wrong that we could be doing it better, humility and consistency. Sometimes we won't stick with it long enough to have that relationship. 
when I was in Louisiana, we were starting a uh, kind of this we call it outreach program. We just really wanted to see our community change. It was it was in the second poorest community in Louisiana, which is uh, you know saying something in and of itself. Dropout rate in schools was forty percent by uh, junior year. Um, uh, that's why I got a lot of football players coming out um, of Louisiana, Texas, Florida. That was the hope that athletics was going to be the way out. Um, and if if they couldn't make athletics, there's no point in being in academics. And mixed with that, it was just generations of just dysfunction in the home. And so in our minds, we're going to go bless these students and bless these teachers, and we're going to knock them off our feet. We had a huge, huge budget. We were going in there, and we'd wow them, you know, teacher breakfast. they get Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits and Starbucks coffee, and, and we'd do backpack drives, and, you know, the whole works. And in one of the meetings with the principal, and she was, she was great uh, letting us come in there, I, I said, what exactly is it? that your students need. Because for years, we had done the backpacks, we'd done, all, we'd done all this stuff. And she said, each student needs a healthy adult relationship outside of their family. I thought, man, I don't have a budget for that. Um, what does that even mean? What does that look like? And as she started talking about the dysfunction, about the need for just somebody outside of your family, that was a healthy person, to encourage them, to believe with them, to, to walk with them through things. We started saying, well, if that's it, then that's, that's going to be our goal. And so I said, "Give it, we'll, we'll take two students per class. And I'll, I'll find mentors from the church or for the community for, for them. So that was the goal. Meet with a student for lunch once a month. And then write them notes, encouragement, all that stuff. And she said, one condition, it needs to be the two worst students in every class. I'm like, two worst students? Like, I remember the worst students in my classes. Like, there's, like, no hope for, <laughs> for that. And I was like, okay. And she said, but you don't have to do fifth grade. I was like, well, why not fifth grade? And she said, usually fourth grade is the year, and it's really becoming third grade is the year where things are set and, and, the, and the motions are set. We really need to reach them by, the, by third grade, so we'll give fourth grade a shot. She's like, don't worry about fifth grade. And now, there was a school uh, for troubled students, you know, that got the detentions and juvenile stuff right next to this school, and it was just, got in trouble, you went next door, and you were there for four months. I mean, it, it, was, it was a rough area. And so I'm thinking, man, you want, you want to give me the two worst kids in every single class? And so we did it, and... I can sit, because I, I studied the numbers, uh, and still, they're doing the program to this day. All of those kids that the teachers themselves deemed the worst students, all those kids graduated. Those mentors didn't get new students when a child went from second grade to third grade. They stuck with them. Sometimes being the only person to show up for their graduation That's how life change happens. If a second grader needs a healthy adult relationship outside of their family, someone to say, I believe in you, you can do it, 
You may not be at your best self right now, but you can be. Like, how much more do we need that? Second grade was easy. Like, how much more do we need that with everything else going on in life? And so it was about that time when I'm seeing that happen. And I've wanted mentors and disciplers all my life. Like, I've, like I've, well, since I was about 18, 19 years old, sought that out. But not in that way until that time. And that's when I started seeking out those relationships in a much different way, less transactional, more, again, relational. I was very specific about it. I want a relationship with someone that knows finances. I want a relationship with someone that knows how to be a good parent. I want a relationship with somebody that knows uh, what true prayer is and can walk me through some of those things. I'll close with this. When I was trying to find those mentoring relationships early on in my life, I was a freshman in college, and I, I am what I'm hearing lately people who were born in the 80s and 90s, I'm hearing some of these young punk kids call them uh, the late 1900s, which you're wrong for that. <laughs> I, I might proudly say that I'm an elder millennial or a geriatric millennial, but you do not come at me with the late 1900s. That is reserved for the late 1800s and all those people that have died uh, before the Great Depression. So like that, you don't have to come at me with that. But in the late 1900s, when I was at the prime of my life, um, if you were in in any Protestant evangelical church during that time, you heard, who's mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? Who's discipling you? Who, does anybody with me on that? Have, have heard those? Thank you in the back. All right. And it was like ingrained in you, like the purity culture was ingrained in you back in, in the 90s. And so I went into in that Christian college looking for those mentoring relationships. And what I wanted was somebody to meet me once a week at a certain time and, ha- and go through certain things. And so that's what I sought out with these two seniors uh, in, in college. And one of them did. And it, it was good for the time. Like, I needed that consistency in my life because my life was so chaotic where I was coming from. And so we met and all that stuff. And I, I still know him. We're acquaintances now. But that ended. After he graduated, it ended. The other guy was so mad at him the entire year because he never scheduled anything, would never respond to me scheduling anything. He would just say, hey, I'm running to Taco Bell, you wanna come with me? Or, hey, I'm playing, he had, this is PlayStation 2 had come out that Christmas, you wanna come and, and play Madden with me at two o'clock on a Saturday morning or whatever it was, late at night on Friday night? And I'd be like, this is not mentoring. I was so frustrated with him. Still to this day, kinda of a little frustrated with him. But while we're talking, He's telling me all about his girlfriend, that they're on again, off again. Throughout the year, they ended up getting engaged, have a great marriage, have a great life. And they have a daughter who's graduating high school right now. It makes me feel weird. The best thing that he could do as a mentor was invite me to be a front row seat in him going through things in life, in him seeking out older people for wise counsel, in him just telling me what was going on. Which relationship has lasted and has been the most fruitful? It's been, it's been the one who invited me into their life and who I chose to have a relationship with, still have a relationship with. He still won't schedule anything with me. It takes me off. But that's just him. But he let me 
rub up into his life and see what was going on there. I think we can get so bogged up into the idea of what's a mentor, am I mentoring? Am I? You have to be humble enough to let somebody into your life and tell you, yeah, you got spinach in your teeth, you need to go take care of that. Or hey, you're really better than what you're doing right now. We also have to be transparent enough to do that for other people. It's all about relationship. These songs that we were singing earlier about the goodness of God. And even what Pastor Chris talked about briefly, God's goodness comes to us through relationships. Relationships. So as we close, my challenge to you is going to be twofold. One, clarify what it is you want even if you want a mentor or not. Clarify what it is that you want. Write it down, literally write it down. Even if it's bullet points, you don't have to do a whole five-page paper on it, but just write it down, what it is you want, what it is you're expecting. And then two, pray that God will give you the opportunity for those and the eyes to see it. Because it's gonna come in the form of relationship. And like all relationships, it's going to require humility and consistency and getting covered in dust. But 20 years down the road, it's going to be worth it. Your life will be changed. Your families will be changed. Communities will be changed. I'm living proof of it, and there's a community in Louisiana that's living proof of it. Let's stand and pray. Father, we pray that the work that you're doing, not just that it would continue, but that we would be a part of it. We want eyes to see what you're doing, where God is moving, where you're moving, where Christ is moving, where the Holy Spirit is moving in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. It may not be the way that we thought it would be. It may not be the way that we would want it to be. But you are moving. And we want to be a part of that. And we know that's going to require relationship. We know that's going to require humility and consistency. And I pray that you would send us the people, the teachers, the mentors, the disciples we need. But also give us clarity, commitment to see who those people are and then to show up and to show up consistently, to do the work, to let it not stop there. Let us not be blind to people that are coming behind us that also need mentors. Let us pay it forward and give above and beyond. And it's going to hurt. That's what building with relationship does. And that's how communities and lives are changed. And we want to advance your kingdom through that. I pray that your hand would be on us as we leave from here, as we shut it off online, uh, as we go back to our lives, that you would bless us, that you would be with us, and that we would serve you openly and consistently. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great weekend.